Hi, everyone. This is Catherine Adams and Elizabeth Wallace, and you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 349. And this week, we are still on schedule. We are recapping two episodes of Lore Olympus. We're going to start with episode 231, which is available for free right now on the Webtoons app. And then we're going to go into 232, which is only available if you're doing the Fast Pass. And I really liked what you said about it after I had told you that I had read both episodes. That I almost regretted Fast Passing this week because episode mm-hmm. 231 made me so happy. Yeah. And then it just got <laughs> irritating again in 232. You know, there's another reason to be irritated that we fast passed. Why is that? She just posted yesterday. She's taking a two week publishing break. So no new episodes will be published for the rest of February. Ah! <laughs> I know. I know. I was like, oh, crap. Ah, we will have a chance to share that episode of um uh, the MCU discussion we did with the uh, Midlife Ooh. Crisis Task Force. So that would be cool. There you go. Yes. Yes. Okay. So let's start with episode 231. We pick up exactly where we left off last episode. Last episode, Persephone had come home. Her mother takes her out to, you know, the big main room of the place. And she's arranged all these people there with a banner that says, we love you, Cor, don't ruin your life. And it's all a way to shame her into the idea that she didn't want to join the goddesses of eternal maidenhood. And they think she's ruining her life. And her mother has like this dress and it sort of ends the episode with her saying, you know, why don't you, why don't you put on the dress? Because that was like almost like a symbol Persephone shows up wearing her gorgeous gown and everything, and her mother hates it, and her mother was trying to get her to put it on. Now, you were concerned that the dress was enchanted. Right, and I was relieved to see that it was not. However, her experience is as awful as I was afraid it was going to be. You're seeing her interior monologue, Persephone's monologue, and she's reminiscing about being a child, and you see flashes of moments from her childhood that she spent her entire life doing everything she could to please her mother. You know, all these trophies, always being first in everything. But her mother was so protective of her, she would not let her fly, which is something that goddesses can do. And she is so conflicted right now because it makes her feel horrible inside to do something that upsets her mother. At the same time, she can't live the life that her mother has chosen for her. And she doesn't think that this is right, what her mother is doing to her right now. And what kind of mother doesn't let a goddess fly? Yeah, yeah. She's thinking the entire time, if it was anybody else, she would absolutely tell them to go to hell. You know, she she would never put up with this from anyone else, but she can't do it because it's her mother. And as bad as all this is, and her mother gets her into the gown and says, oh, isn't that so much better? You're so glad that I was here to bail you out. I'll send somebody to Olympus to get your things. Like she is completely convinced that she is going to get Persephone to do everything that she wants her to do. And it's not like she's been cut off from all information. She knows about the humongous tree that Persephone grew in the underworld. But Demeter frames it as, I heard about that tree that you grew by accident and it caused so much damage. So I'm glad that you understand that you're not qualified to run another realm. And meanwhile, you see Hestia and she is holding the bell jar that had been holding Hades in moth form. And Hestia, I forgive you for everything. You can keep the coat. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I was so happy because she opens the jar and then while Demeter is still talking and saying something like, I know it was really hard for you. I can understand why you probably didn't want to come and ask me for help and everything. But you see everybody sort of looking around and there are more and more black moths filling the room. And 
they coalesce into the shape of Hades, and he reaches out for Persephone, and she reaches out for him. Now, this next bit, I thought this was brilliantly done, because Hades starts talking about how Persephone was chosen by timeless gods from the depths of the underworld as qualified to rule the underworld, and he will not hear anybody else say anything about that. And he starts talking about when he first saw her, just a glimpse of her, and he just, he'd been so lonely his whole life, and he told himself, just getting to see her, that would be enough. And then she came to visit him, and he told himself, just the fact that she came to visit him one time, that would be enough. And he's, he'd figured out this whole thing that he would just maybe see her at Olympus every once in a while on the other side of a meeting room, and they'd wave to each other, and that would be enough. And the fact that she chose him, he is so honored. And But this entire time, he is not talking to Demeter. He is talking to Persephone. He is telling Persephone how she is worthy of what she wants. That's so freaking healthy. Oh, my God. <laughs> and at one point, Demeter even says stop, Hades, stop that right now. And Hades pauses and kind of looks back at her a bit, but then he looks directly at Persephone and waits, and she tells him to keep going. So even for that moment, it's just wonderful. Even in that moment, he wasn't going to do what Demeter wanted. He was going to look directly at her. I loved how he said that his whole life, he's felt like this giant burden, but that she made him feel worthy, and she made him feel like it wasn't wrong to want things, which I really like. Yeah. And he just, he goes back to the fact that after 10 years, she came for him. She came down to the underworld to find him because she still loved him. Oh, it was just, and the artwork, of course, is freaking beautiful. And Hades just looks so imposing because it's not really like his regular mortal realm garb, but it's certainly not his Olympus garb. It's like his almost like kingly helmet type battle thing or whatever in this dark flowing cape all over just it's really gorgeous and she looks wonderful there's that moment when when he says you know you came back for me and you just see her just smiling and she's got little tears spilling down her cheeks it's so pretty and Hades looks at Demeter and says Demeter your daughter owes me a debt and Demeter says what could my daughter possibly owe you and he said goddess you owe me one personal question which you must answer at any time at any place and oh my god that goes back so far gosh i mean it's not back to the first or second episode but i mean it goes back i know the lore olympians will know which episode it goes back to but they they did they made a deal she had to ask him a question and he agreed that you know he could ask her a question if that was the case so it's all the way back And he gets down on one knee and says, my beautiful core, will you be my wife? Yay! That was an epic proposal. That was just so wonderful. And Demeter's in the background screaming at them to stop, but you can see that her words are kind of like fuzzed out because either they're not paying attention to her or they're actually physically keeping her from intruding on them. It's just beautiful. And of course she says yes! (laughs) She says yes. Oh, it's just the sweetest thing. And they kiss. There's so much kissing. Oh, it's just beautiful. And that's where the episode ends. And that's why Catherine was saying that she's almost sad that she did the Fast Pass, because what a lovely way to end it. Also, there was music throughout this whole thing, and the music is beautiful. Yeah, and gorgeous. One of the final images is all of those black moths that were floating around just kind of focused down and down onto Persephone's hand, and they turn into an engagement ring. Yay! (laughs) So amazing. I, I know that Rachel posted on Twitter 
probably a couple weeks ago, she just said, boy, I'm really looking forward to seeing how you guys react to one of these episodes. I'm like, this is the one. I gotta wonder how long it took for her to plan this episode out just to make the perfect proposal with all of the perfect images. Beautiful. Freaking beautiful. And then we did the fast pass. So we're going on into episode 232, spoiler warnings. And it picks up exactly where we left off. But Uh, Demeter, of course, is being horrible as always. And she says, you know, Hades, the only reason why she's agreeing to marry you is to spite me. And once again, you know how to capitalize on other people's pain. And I'm like, yikes. Yeah, yeah. And she is telling Persephone, you will not marry him. But Persephone is like, her face is just blank and she's just not going to indulge her mother anymore. And that lovely image, it almost looks like the two of them are in this almost oval capsule as he's pulling her in and she's facing outward. And you could see how that could be interpreted as like the the kidnapping of Persephone, the way it's done, except that you know that Persephone wants to get out of there and be with Hades now. I, we called it from a long time ago. We said that because this is a retelling of the story, that it's Demeter's going to be the one saying that her daughter was kidnapped by the evil Hades and everything. But in reality, that's not what it was at all. It was always Persephone's choice. And Demeter, when she was calling on them to stop, you saw the goddess of wrath behind her at one point. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I don't know. I mean, wrath, she had always said that she does things because she gets bored and she wants to make trouble. Um, So, yeah, this could be her betraying Persephone. This could be her showing Persephone what her mother has been like this entire time, what her mother really thinks, that her mother doesn't think that she has a mind of her own or knows her own desires. She's still just a 12-year-old girl who's angry at her mother, so she's going to make bad decisions. But you can also see in Demeter's eyes before Hades shows up that Rachel has drawn her with like those, the circles under her eyes, like looking like she's really freaked out and about how it's lucky I was there to bail you out. And I think she can see how hurt her daughter is. But when they're leaving, she's just, she's screaming at her. I will always do what's best for you. And I know that you will hate me for it. But it, she's she's still going to do it because she knows what's best. I'm like, and yep. that is something you are not going to be able to argue her out of it. Not with as miserable as Persephone is. She's not going to see that. She's going to see, oh, she's miserable now, but she'll thank me later. Yep, yep, yep. She always knows best. But I have some hope in the fact that certainly Hestia just looked really appalled at everything that was going on. Obviously, she let Hades out of the bell jar. So she's got that. You know, Hera's obviously going to be on her side. More on that in a minute. But I'm hoping that she has enough people in her corner. It is interesting that I still need to see Apollo get his comeuppance. But now I really, really, I do need to see Demeter hit rock bottom. I mean, I'm just, it's awful, but I'm just like, oh, I want to see her miserable. I do too. Yeah, yeah. And it's, in the original mythology, Demeter was willing to let the entire mortal realm starve to death in order Mm -hmm. to get her daughter back. I know that's going to come into play because I don't think Demeter cares. I mean, she will do whatever she can to get Persephone back under her thumb. Not her daughter happy, not her daughter in a good marriage and queen of a realm with Demeter, with Demeter in control. (sighs) So, of course, 
Persephone, I mean, Persephone and Hades leave and you get Demeter screaming her name one last time. And the thing I was like, what's that on her head? Oh, it's the big sign that had been hanging up that says, you know, we love you, don't ruin it. That's the sign that's hanging over her head when she screams. Yep. But yeah. All of her plans literally falling down all around her. So next we see Persephone and Hades and they're appearing in the underworld after he's opened the portal for them. And she's crying, and she's just, she's crying, but she's apologizing. because She's like, I'm sorry, I'm really, really happy, because, you know, they're going to get married. But she said, I just, I, I hated everything that she did and all those things that she said to me. And I thought that you had left. Yeah, and that's when he said, she, I, I didn't leave you, she trapped me in a bell jar. And then Persephone looks at him and says, are you naked? And he freezes for a second and said, I have a cape. (laughs) (laughs) And of course they start laughing. She's like, you just proposed to me in front of all those virgin nymphs and my mother naked as the day you were born. That's great. (laughs) And And it's just... They're just laughing. And they, they collapse on the ground, and you just see the room from a distance, this gigantic giggle written over it. So Aww. it's just so nice. Happy. But the next yeah. thing you see is the two of them the next day, I guess, um, and they are dressed to go out on the town doing some shopping, and Persephone is chatting away with someone about, oh, is it wonderful, and he made me a beautiful ring. It's the nicest thing I've ever owned, and I can't wait for you to see it. Oh, by the way, this is Persephone. I can't wait to see you. Bye. She's been calling around to wedding venues and other places to set up appointments to start doing the wedding shopping, but funny thing, she keeps running into their voicemail and no one's picking up and none of the stores they've gone to are open. And we see at one point a bakery that they're walking to, just like they change the sign from open to close and then hide so that no one sees Uh them inside. So they're not having any luck. They go to this other store. It might have been the store where those two nymphs helped uh, Persephone get all of her new clothes, which I love that. I kind of hope so. Yeah, it was a great scene. I I need to look at that uh, because I love that when they're they're measuring and they're obviously coming in on the tail end of a story that one of them is telling and she says and I told the centaur buddy you're not even my entire night (laughs) (laughs) very cool but Persephone comes in and she wants to try on the dress in the window and before she walked in one of them had said I think it's above our pay grade to tell her why so they're obviously freaked out and the next thing you see is uh, Poseidon and Zeus like sitting there pouring cereal to have breakfast and someone shouting she did what yeah uh, it turns out <sighs> so long story short Demeter came straight to Zeus um I, I just I mean the whole thing with the trial and everything it's amazing that she would go straight to him and whatever he'd ruined your life for like 10 years but okay come straight to him when you need help she told him that Hades had violated the laws of Xenia which is like, think of xenophobia, which is you're scared of other things. Xenia is the opposite. It's a Greek idea of welcoming the guest into your home. Yeah, there's a bunch of stories, I think, in Greek mythology about people not being welcoming to a guest or not treating a guest right or somebody being a guest and violating their host's hospitality. So yeah, that is a violation of Xenia. And apparently that is a great big deal for Zeus. So they put a hold on all of the wedding planning. And and meanwhile, Zeus and Poseidon are arguing about who's going to be the best man at Hades' wedding. And like the commenters are like, Zeus, you just helped somebody uh, Shanghai someone else's wedding. No, you're not going to be the best man. No, and you uh, banished her for 10 years. You kept him away from each other for 10 years. No, he's not going to be the best man. He better not be the best man. I'll be pissed. Some people were saying that Thanatos will probably be the best man because now they've sort of they sort of understand each other as having a father-son kind of relationship. Kind of. Kind of. I 
think even yeah. Poseidon would be a better choice than uh, yeah. than Zeus yeah. at this point. So someone, I forget if it's Hades or Persephone, asked, where's Hera in all this? Exactly for the reasons that I was saying earlier. You know, Hera is the goddess of marriage. She's obviously on Persephone's side. What's she doing about this? And Zeus says, well, I called her, but she's not answering. And we see an image of Hera just lying unconscious on the floor someplace. And that's where the episode ends. And I've been seeing some of the Fast Pass teaser images, and Hera is going to be featured in at yeah. least one of the upcoming three episodes. So, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> oh, man. So Kronos is obviously influencing things somehow, making trouble, I don't know. And, and she's going to bear the brunt of it. And I don't even know if Zeus knows that Kronos had demanded them bring Hera to him. Because when they asked Zeus, what does Hera have to say about all this? And he said, well, I don't know. I called her and she didn't pick up. So it doesn't sound like they're living together yet either. No. I would hope that they aren't. <laughs> Zeus has redeemed himself in a few ways, but I'm still mad at him for a lot of reasons. Yeah, I, I, he's, he's going to have to do a lot more. A lot more. Yeah. But that's it. That's that's where we end. And now I'm just like, crap. Do we fast pass an episode next week like normal? Or I no? don't know. I mean, next week would have been the um, Night Vale. So, and then that's the week true. after that. But would we want to fast pass then if she's going to be taking a couple of weeks off? Ooh, I, I don't know. know because it's it's time of this recording. It's February thirteenth. So we're you know, but two weeks go by. We're pretty close to the end of the month anyway. I know. I yeah. She said, uh, she said they will return on the first week of March. So yeah, do the math. I don't know. I don't know. We'll just we'll see how desperate we are two weeks from now. I have no idea. Okay, so moving right along, you watched another two episodes of Umbrella Academy. Yes, and it was season two, episode five and six. And I have my notes here, and my first note is about uh, episode five, very happy about this chimp space story here. And it is the whole scene of Grace back in the 19, I don't know, 60s or late 50s, something like that. And she's a scientist who works with chimps, and they are involved in the space program. And they are working with the chimp that will go into space. And it's all done without dialogue of any kind. Uh So, But Uh you're just seeing that she really, really loves this chimp. She wants to make sure he's taken care of. The chimp is obviously very happy and very trained in how to do all this stuff when the bell dings. So he gets fired up into space and he does everything perfectly and everybody's thrilled. And then something goes wrong with the space capsule and it crashes into the ocean on fire. And I just, that's the sort of thing that makes my throat close up. I'm just like, the poor chimp. And I know. But but the entire time, uh, Reginald... Hargrove? Hargreave? Is that their father's name? Hargreaves, I think, yeah. Yeah. He's been standing in the background of all this, watching all this going on and nodding his approval. And when they bring the chimp in, this obviously burned, and she's trying to do CPR on it, and he's not waking up. And Hargreaves walks over, and he holds up a syringe. And he looks to her, and she nods, and he injects it, and you see the chimp open his eyes, and I think his eye color changes. I think I think it did. It's been a while since I've seen it, but yeah. Yeah, but then the next thing you see is just Hargraves is in a room, and he's reading aloud from Homer, and Grace comes in and tells him, 
Reginald, he's asleep, and he looks over, and there's the chimp, and he's curled up in his little astronaut onesie and curled up asleep, so and Hargreaves says, Hargreave says, oh, well, I guess Homer can wait. And they both of them walk out arm in arm, and I'm like, and that's how it happened. That's why she's with him. He swept her off her feet by saving her chimp. <laughs> <laughs> because, of course, I mean, what woman wouldn't be with a guy after that? Come on, let's let's be honest. Let's be honest, yes. So, But, I mean, other notes, um, Luther, when he first arrived in the 60s, his first thing to do was to drive back to where they grew up so he could meet his father and try to make things right between them. And I don't, I have a note here that says, why did Luther think that meeting was going to go any other way? Because of course, Reginald thinks he's crazy and throws him out. Like, yep, not even yep, worth talking yep. to. Another note, Vanya's power can be so lovely and glowy. I wonder if everyone else's power could be as beneficial if their dad had guided them another way. Because he I always... totally think so. He always trained them up to be warriors, you know, a fighting team. But Vanya can actually heal people. And it's really... Yes, but okay, so all of them finally get back together, except Klaus won't tell everybody that Ben is there in ghost form, which pissed Mm -hmm. me off that he kept doing that. Yeah, Klaus can be really super spiteful. I mean, really, really spiteful, yeah. But, I mean, um, Diego and Luther go off to, I don't know, I can't remember what they went off to. I guess Luther maybe left because he was like, no, I don't believe any of this about the world ending. I'm done. Uh, Five goes off to chase Lila, who he spots, who's actually luring him to see the uh, the handler and Klaus, Allison, and Vanya go to the beauty parlor and get drunk and it's yes. beautiful. It is so much fun. They talk, they chat, they dance. This show really loves the cinematographer really loves to frame a distant shot that like mm-hmm. gets everybody into the frame. Like I have a note here when they were hiding out at the um, the bowling alley in season one and all yes. the people came to attack him. I I am convinced that they set up that entire scene just so they could have the shot of all of them running down in parallel along the bowling alleys because it's just a yes. brilliant shot. And the, oh. the, the images from the beauty parlor were great. I mean, at one point, Klaus says something spiteful to Allison and Allison pouts and kicks a chair that rolls all the way across the room. And I'm just like, I don't know why that image pleased me so much, but it really did. It's When I think about that season, I mean, that, that scene, because once again, the music, they always pick great. Music. Yes, they always do. Yep, yeah. especially the bit when um, Five tracks down Lila in this big warehouse, and they get into a kick-ass fight. And it's the uh, the song "I'm the Bad Guy," but mm-hmm. it's a cover of it from another group. And I'm just listening, going, "This is perfect. I love every bit of this. The kick-ass yes. fight, the music, the lighting, all of that." So. Um, and then we end with uh, those three Swedish assassins. Uh, the handler arranged for one of them to be killed and to blame Diego for it. So they have a Viking uh-huh. funeral. And I wrote down here, Viking funeral. Why do I feel bad for them? Because they're obviously so upset that their brother has been killed. That's, I really love it when they do that. I mean, I know that they've done that in Saga a few times as well, where you have these horrible, horrible people and you hate them. And then they get killed or someone they care about gets killed. I don't know. It's just like, obviously, they are definitely the bad guys, but they still have human emotions. You know, they can still grieve. So I I like it when they can sort of flesh a villain out. You still know that they're terrible people, but it it makes it so much deeper when you can get those emotions in there. So uh, episode six, uh, first notes, Ben is in love with one of Klaus's cult members. Yep. And I like when they can flesh out Ben's character so that he's more than just Klaus's conscious running around. Yes. Yes. Uh, But he does manage to bully Klaus into finally going and telling the cult members that he's a fraud because 
they think the world might end in six days. These people need to go back to their families. And some of them, like especially the one that uh, Ben is in love with, she gave up everything. She gave up like a Fulbright scholarship. Her parents won't talk to her anymore. And yeah. Klaus is just stringing them along. So Klaus comes out and he, in his underwear, standing in front of all of his uh, worshipful cult members. And he starts with, my name is Klaus and I'm an Alcott. Sorry, that's the wrong meeting. Like, oh, Klaus, never change. <laughs> I love him. He's great. But of course, it he can't convince them that he's not the prophet because everything yeah. he says about a fraud, they take it as more teachings. Like, oh, I'm a fraud too because I haven't learned how not to be a fraud. And it's just, he can't. He absolutely cannot no. get them to back off. But later on, David shows up at Klaus's yes. compound and he wants to talk to him. And David, by the way, in case anybody doesn't remember, it's the guy that Klaus was in love with in Vietnam who died. But now that he's gone back in time, he tried to convince David that he shouldn't go sign up. But David ended up, at the goading of his uncle, ended up punching him in the face. Punching him in the face. And he came there to apologize. And Klaus is trying to tell him everything that he knows about what's going to happen to him and everything about him. And he even has a dog tag that he saved from David when David died. Well, David tells him that he's full of it that he's lying, that he's making all of this up because he's already enlisted. And it was because Klaus came to talk to him and made that huge fuss, and David's uncle marched him down to the enlistment office so he could sign up right there and there. So David has enlisted early because of Klaus. See, everybody's been wondering if you can actually change the past or change the future or whatever, and Klaus just proved that he can change the past. He made it worse. He made it worse, yeah, and I still don't know what he thought he was going to accomplish because if he convinced David to not go to Vietnam, then Klaus would never meet him and would never want to protect him by getting him to stop going to Vietnam. It's definitely one of those time travel things where you can follow the story's own logic to a point where the story wouldn't have happened. I think it's kind of like how they set it up in... Gosh, it wasn't, was it Endgame? It, was, it wasn't Infinity War. It was Endgame where basically the Ancient One kind of explained that it doesn't quite necessarily work that way. It's almost like creating other universes, basically. Yeah, yeah. Which is not what they've said. And I'll tell you right now, I don't think that they've said that in this series now. I don't think I just gave away something. But who knows? Maybe they'll change that in, in another point. But yeah, I don't I don't think it quite works that way. No, no. So, of course, Klaus is left to deal with that. Uh, then we go back to Allison, and she has told her husband, Ray, everything and told him about her power. He wants her to prove it. She takes him down to a high-end tailor to get Ray a suit, and she asks the proprietor there if he can try on some of his suits, and the proprietor tells her that black people aren't allowed to try on clothes here. Now, if you just want to buy something and leave, and she rumors him. She says, I heard a rumor that you let him try on anything in the store, which is exactly what happened. We have a great little montage, and he looks really, really good in a suit, I have to say. Uh, And they walk out with all of their packages, and he tells her this is amazing i mean think of what you could do for this world think of what you could do for the movement and that's when they walk past the diner where they had the sit-in and she marches in and even though the diner owner tries to throw them out she rumors him into closing his mouth and then demands a cup of coffee and when he starts pouring she just is like telling him more 
more and he's still pouring and lava hot coffee is pouring all over his hand and Ray is trying to get her to stop as well and he finally like drags her out of it so I had been worried that Ray was going to let this power go to his head oh but it goes to Allison's head pretty fast when she starts using it so they go home and he asked her did you ever use it on me and she said no of course not and he said but if you did would I ever notice? And I think he knows now what she was talking about when she said there's a cost. And that, I mean, we saw her earlier on in season one thinking of all the times she had used the word, I heard a rumor. And you get this idea, her entire career, her husband, her, yes. her whole life was all stuff. She didn't earn any of it. She just forced everybody into giving it to her. Yeah, And that's why she had tried so hard being back in the past to not use it. But it's too it's too much of a temptation. Yep. She can't stay away from it. And Vanya, of course, got her heart broken because the woman that she have slept with is staying with her husband because it's too hard yes. to do anything else. So but yes. meanwhile, all this stuff is going on and they've all gotten an invite for a light supper with Hardgreaves. And it's in this tiki bar at the top of a hotel. Didn't that and tiki they, bar look fun? I want to go. It there. looked great. Oh well I tell you, you know, we saw one of them walk into an elevator and then all of them like oh hold the elevator and they all go in at the same time. And I really liked the music that was playing when they got into the elevator. I have a note here I really like the music playing in the elevator scene. And we have a fart joke. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the first time they've done a fart joke, but uh, it seemed like a pretty good timing for it. Yeah. No. But anyway, so they actually do meet up with Hargreaves and they try to tell him everything. And he halfway doesn't believe any of them and halfway doesn't think they're even worth talking to. And mm-hmm. Diego accuses him of plotting the assassination of the president. And Hargreaves just looks at him and tells him off for just being insignificant. And I was wondering, wait a minute, why is Diego's face scrunching up like that? Oh, no. And it was his stutter came back, which yeah. had always been a problem, especially when he was dealing with his father. And he'd had He'd been past it for ages. Took him right back to when he was like an 11-year-old. But all of them are bickering at each other, and they all, one after another, show off their different powers. And (laughs) Vanya offers to show show him what she can do, and all of them are like, no, no, I don't think that's a really good idea. Last time you did that, it wasn't great. She said, no, I can handle it. And they're trying to get her to stop, and she clinks a knife against a tiki glass, and it makes a vibration, and she stares at the centerpiece and makes it blow up, and it like spatters fruit everywhere. And I just love of the little smirk on her face when she looks down afterwards. Oops. <laughs> so I, I really like this this confident Vanya who like she knows how to use her powers and she doesn't yeah. automatically think she's lesser than all of her siblings because she doesn't remember any of it. So that's been nope. fun to watch. Yes. Um, the last thing is that Hargreaves wants to talk to Five and they Five needs a way to get everybody out of there but last time he used his like travel powers, he messed up. And you know, one one time he used his uh, power to travel through time. He ended up in the apocalypse for forty five years. And the last time he scattered his family across the nineteen sixties. So Hargreaves tells him to just go ahead and use his power for like seconds at a time. He has to start somewhere, which is surprisingly good information. Oh, and also what he was shouting at um, Hargreaves last week. It was Greek, not Russian. I keep doing that. I don't seem to be oh. able to identify languages. I would say that there's, I'm, I'm going to throw a word out here and say they both have the same Cyrillic root, but I could be totally wrong on that one. <laughs> I imagine Hannah's probably listening. She's like, that doesn't even mean anything. But anyway, is that advertising major um, linguistics there? Yes, that's exactly what it is. That's my understanding. I don't know. For some reason you said that. I'm like, 
I swear there's probably similarities. I would, anyway. I would hope so, for my sake, yeah. anyway. But yes, yes. So let's see, what has been going on? The handler has offered Five a deal that if he assassinates the board of directors for the big company that they work for, she'll get all of them back home and she won't make the apocalypse happen, even though she had said that that was you know, mandatory last season. So right. he goes to the hotel room and says, okay, it's a deal, and she gives him a card with the address on it. And I'm fairly sure, oh no, one last thing happened. Um, Vanya's lover slash best friend now goes to find her and agrees that they'll run away together. And meanwhile, her husband is standing off to one side in the dark watching it all go down. So that's going to be a thing. Because of course he is, yeah. And we've seen that, oh, Deadwood, that's where her husband was. Uh, he was actually played a nice guy in Deadwood, but now he's playing a real asshole. Yeah, I don't know that he's been out and out abusive, but she's obviously not happy being married to him. And it could be yeah. that he's a jerk, and it could be that he's been lying to her a lot, and it could be that she's gay. So, I don't know. Mm, you're going to get some more information on that one pretty Okay. Soon. Oh, I figured. Yeah. And that was it. A lot. They do pack a lot into each one of these episodes. They really, My really God, do. My God, they sure do. Yeah. Boy, and the, the episodes aren't even all that long. Now it makes me want to go and rewatch because I, you know, I've of course seen the third season, but I haven't rewatched the first season in a while. I could see myself catching them. I've been rewatching Sense8. I don't know. I loved the first season so much, and rewatching it, it was really just as fun watching. And this has got to be my least third time watching the first season, but I hadn't ever watched the second season more than once. And it's just, I don't know. It's so. It's like all the the soul went out of it. It's really weird. Did and they something hire, happened with the writing? Yeah. Did they hire a whole new writing team or something? I don't know. I know that one of. One of the sisters who directs it left the project, but I don't know when that happened. If it happened after the first season, that would explain it. But I almost want to think that that one sister didn't come back for the movie that they did to, like, finalize everything, which was also not very... We've talked about it before. It's actually speaking to the trans experience, and it's speaking to people who have been going through this and sort of recognizing your own true self, insisting on being recognized for that. There's... A lot of wish fulfillment with like family members who finally see you for the person that you really are, not the person that they want you to be and everything. That becomes more of the main focus and not the kind of interesting story about eight people around the world who can read each other's minds. You know, that's right. part of it, but that's not the focus. So I don't want to say that it's, I didn't enjoy it, but I don't want to say that it's bad. It really wasn't meant for me. So um, Yeah, that's I, I, am, I have heard that before. Yeah, and I am finding that out the second time. So, eh, whatever. Um, anyway, so that's what I've been doing. And I also watched All Quiet on the Western Front since it was nominated for an Oscar. Whew, that's, that's an intense <laughs> watch. My goodness. Okay, so <laughs> I'm glad Nathan doesn't regularly listen to this podcast because he'd probably be shouting at the screen. Um, All Quiet on the Western Front is First World War, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. Okay. Yes. We yeah. all really do need to see the movie 1917 because that oh. is an experience. That is, Nathan and oh. I got to see that in the theaters. And 1917 is the movie that it's not all like a single shot, but a lot of it is 
like filmed in such a way that it looks yeah. like a single shot that it never stops moving. So yeah. and just the 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 powerful story and oh my goodness. But I'm not sure how well it would work for our watch party because I don't know if we would be able to text all that much while watching it because it is very, very yeah. visual. Yeah, I almost felt like that would be more something like the next time we all happen to be in the same room together, we do that. Yeah, of, yeah, that like, would also work. Like an actual real world watch party. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. While quiet on the Western Front, I wouldn't want to do a watch party for that one. It's it's just got too many really depressing moments in it. It really, really it, does. It'd be war, so I could see yeah. it. It'd be war, and it was nominated for an Oscar, so that's going to be a given. Most like, Did you ever see The Power of the Dog? No, I didn't see that. Was it good? Um, and I still recommend that one. Also, not a particularly happy story, but I look back on it, and I'm like, this is pretty satisfying, I thought. You know? <laughs> Well, I guess that will wrap us up for the week, so make sure to check out PixLadyGeek.com for all the book reviews, the movie reviews, the comic book reviews, the photo galleries, or fan art galleries. I just got press passes to WonderCon! Yay! That's coming up in March so far. At the time of this recording, it is myself and Jada and Leland and Lauren and Ariana and... Holy, and Alex DeHekashan. Sorry, Alex, he doesn't listen to this podcast anymore. Anyway, <laughs> a lot of really good photographers in that bunch, so we're going to take a bunch of pictures. So I was about to say, that sounds like quite that. the crew you've got going on there. That's going to yeah, be awesome. Yeah, yeah. we only get four passes to Comic-Con, but we always get six to WonderCon, so. Mm. Um, and then other than that, also look out for the fact, I just put the links in our social media. Nathan dropped the episode that we recorded with the Midlife Crisis Task Force, should I say Poncho instead, or does that everybody knows who we're everybody talking Everybody knows who we're talking about. But. Okay, yeah. But it's a real fun time. We were talking about the DC stuff that is coming out, asking ourselves if we care. The answer is we're not sure, but that came out today. Great listen. And I'm currently working on the edit for the second part of that, which will be released on this website, and that's where we're talking about all the Marvel stuff that's coming out. Oh, boy, and we all had opinions, didn't we? Man, that was My a pretty in-depth discussion of everything that's happened, everything that's coming, how much we care about any of it, and what sort of stuff that we really liked about it. So, and yeah. I think, yeah. I think, you know, David, he actually uh, responded to Nathan's post about that with a very nice comment about one of the reasons why the DC cinematic universe hasn't worked as well is because they actually have this idea that you hire directors with their own style and you let them make the story exclusively how you want it, they want to rather than bringing in people who are like, you know, workmanlike directors who will take instruction and deliver a film that thematically fits with the other films, which is why the MCU feels much more coherent. I think that was his explanation, but yeah, it makes yeah. sense, especially when we talked about Snyder and the fact that he didn't actually like spy, um, Superman, so why was he hired to direct a Superman movie? I don't know. I have no idea. And then, I mean, and then... <sighs> Whatever, I, because you also got in the Marvel universe. It's people who can follow directions, but then you get Sam Raimi who did in Multiverse of Madness, and it's like the Sam Raimiest Marvel movie that you could ever imagine. But it, the, it still does fit in the universe. There's something about it that that kind of yeah holds it all together. It's fun. Anyway, 
All that and more, pixelatedgeek.com and Midlife Crisis Task Force. Um, I'll have all of the links in this podcast description, so you're just going to be all set for podcasts for quite some time. Which is good, because so. if we don't get Lower Olympus for a couple of weeks, we're going to need something mm-hmm. to tide us over. Yeah, so next week we'll have a Night Vale episode. The week after that, I don't know. I mean, time is weird. But one way or the other, we will talk to everybody in one week. Talk to you all later. She told him that Zeus violated the laws uh, uh, of... Shit, I always do that. <laughs> but later on, David shows up. Ouch, cat, stop it. Cat <laughs> biting me. Would you cut it out, please? Go away. Cat, would you... What are you two doing? Stop it. <laughs> they're fighting with each they're, other? They're attacking each other. Yes, I'm sorry. I don't want to let them out because I'm cooking a cheesecake downstairs, and I don't want Nathan to have to uh, strong-arm Jones out there while he's <laughs> trying to pull a cake out of the oven. Right. Stop it. <laughs> it's, this is one of those times I wish we had video on this podcast because Catherine's, like, trying to talk seriously, and the cats are, like, going nuts behind her. The story's own logic to a point where the story wouldn't have happened. Would you stop attacking my braid, Jones? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Cat, stop attacking my shirt. Cut it out. <laughs> God. Sorry, let me try that again. I really like the music playing in the... Sorry, this cat is just being so noisy. Stop it. <sighs> cat, leave it. Cats. That was Sarah Jane absolutely losing her temper at Jones. Oh, wow. <laughs> so she, which never happened before Jones came into the house, but anyway... <laughs>